Welcome to Be More Super the Podcast. Up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. An action-packed podcast where we'll discuss all things entertainment. You're the answer to are we alone in the universe? Conventions, prop collecting, cosplay, interviews, reviews, and so much more. The show starts with host Brian Gardner right now. So on this week's episode of Be More Super, the podcast, we've got another awesome guest. This actor has literally been in everything on TV and film right now. Literally pops up everywhere from Book of Eli, Westworld, The Lincoln Lawyer, Bright, Ray Donovan, and more and more. We could be here all week. It's a wonderful Chris Browning. Chris, <laughs> welcome to the show, sir. Thank you. Thanks for asking. Oh, do you know what? It's an absolute pleasure and congratulations on The Lincoln Lawyer. It's number one uh, in the UK and I hear it's number one in the US as well. So that must be awesome. It is awesome. I uh, I had a, uh, I, d- I worked on Bosch. Uh, I did a lot of uh, season five on Bosch. And so, and they're both from, you know, Michael Connolly's books. Mm-hmm. And uh in fact the lincoln lawyer and the bosch worlds collide they're they're in the same world at times anyway they cross over but so when uh when i got the lincoln lawyer it was it was uh an audition that that uh i had gone out and gotten this huge mustache for a uh for an audition for a Will Smith movie, uh, a slavery thing. And, and it was this horrible slave hunter guy. And, and I went and got this mustache to do the audition. And once I was done with that, the Lincoln lawyer thing came in and I said, well, this guy's the head of a motorcycle gang. I'm going to, I'm going to just use the mustache. So I put that on tape and they they hired me and they said and the eight my agent said they love you and they said don't shave the mustache and, <laughs> and it's I a very said, impressive well, mustache i've got to say and i, I literally <laughs> binged the whole show in one day it was literally episode after ep- episode you couldn't not keep watching uh, so i'm looking forward to season two but we're going to talk about the Lincoln um, lawyer in de- detail very soon. But what I normally ask my guests, and I can't wait till there's a time when, you know, this is all over. But the last two years have been quite a challenging two years, to say the least. So, you know, over the last two years, how have you kept positive And how have, have you kept moving forwards, you know, throughout this pandemic? It was very difficult for me. I had... Uh... Basically, you know, everything shut down in, in our industry. And so um, it was it was a nightmare. Thank God for residuals, because I still had some residual checks coming in that I that I lived on. But I was, you know, putting together uh, acting classes, doing I thought, well, I can teach. <laughs> so, yeah. So I, I went to a school called the American Academy of Dramatic Arts and and just by chance, they asked me to be their keynote speaker at graduation. So, and, it, and they had a whole year of school during COVID where they did a, a theater academy on Zoom. Like they did, a, they did a, a, like plays at the end of the year with everybody on camera. I, I, I can't imagine what a nightmare that would have been. But uh, I got to be their speaker at the graduation. And then I met someone there 
uh, Charlotte, who's on the staff, and I talked to her about doing doing uh, uh, teaching, and she said, "Oh, I'll I'll put that together." So Charlotte and I worked on a website, and and so that's that's something to do. But it, it, I didn't know. I didn't really. I had a hard time staying positive. Is the mm. wrong answer? I think because I, I think I, as well. I mean, you're a father as well, as well as myself. I've got two little girls, and over the pandemic it was so hard because kids are so well they're such social butterflies they like socializing they like to be with their friends so i don't know what it what it was like in in the states but in the uk literally everything shut down and we had so many rules mm. that we couldn't mix we couldn't go out um and it was awful it really really was uh, but the great thing about kids they're very resilient you know um hopefully fingers crossed they sort of blanket out a bit in the future when, when when they get older but did you find that you had a bit of pressure as well during the pandemic you know a bit of responsive responsibility for your kids to keep keep them safe as well yeah i mean i i was impressed by the you know the fact that these kids did an entire year of school on zoom and I, you know i do i do the odd meeting here and there you know, on Zoom, and I'm just like over it. I couldn't imagine going to school all day, every day, for a year. So I was was impressed with that. But um, you know, we lived in Topanga Canyon, and it's just an outdoor paradise. It really was. It was like there was no pandemic up there. I, mm. I'm out hiking and mountain biking all the time, and so for me, it didn't look any different. Uh, it was just when I came downhill into civilization that I realized that pandemic so had the kids out a lot um and you know we're kind of isolated anyway so it, and it wasn't really a i don't know i think we we had it worse than i mean better than other other kids that are stuck like in new york you know mm. i i i can't imagine and how terrible that must have been where you, you can't even go anywhere. Well, I've got a friend that's actually a police officer in New York and um, he was saying it was terrible because they got it quite bad and, and um, mm. you know, fingers crossed uh, with uh, vaccinations and, and with it, I mean, I don't know if it's still that bad in the US, but in the UK it's sort of tapering off, uh, which is quite, quite nice. Um, and hopefully we can get back to normality. Uh, I hate the word new normal. I want to go back to how it was before. So, uh, yeah, so yeah, just so, plain old normal. Yeah, plain, 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 plain old nor not normal. So, you, uh, you sir, your profession, I've got to say, is is probably one of those professions that they've got the most ups and downs. Um, why on earth did you decide to enter the world of acting? Because it's it's got to be a tough job. It is a tough job. I. Uh, um, Wait, can you still hear me now? I'm turning my yeah. own microphone down. Yeah. You, you can hear me? Okay, yeah. good. Uh, I I was an incredibly shy kid um, and young adult. Um, you know, if you've read anything about me, you know, uh, um, I'm a recovering drug addict, alcoholic, and and uh, I, I had to drink just to have the courage, you know, to go into a bar and... and uh, so I would have never have thought of myself as becoming an actor. I actually came to L.A. to write screenplays. I was always into writing. And and I 
only ended up at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts because I knew so little about this world that I didn't even understand that they weren't going to teach me how to write screenplays at a theater school. Mm. And I, I remember <laughs> telling this story because I remember I had come up with a, a, a clever way of, of, of telling the director of the school that I was going to, I would, I wanted to focus primarily on screenwriting. I was so proud of that little phrase. And I, and I proudly delivered that to the director of the school. And she was like, what the hell are you talking about? And focus your, your schedule is the same as everybody else's here. Focus on that. And, and, you know, they taught me how to sing and dance and, and do Shakespeare and, and, you know, stage combat and stuff. And, and, I was just a football player, you know, and I'd never, I, I didn't, I didn't, I knew nothing about it, you know. And the, all these kids were at the school were, you know, they're all like smoking and wearing black and talking about John Malkovich and you know, and I was like, I don't even know who that is, you know. I don't know who John, I, you know, and 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 they would say, hey, we're gonna, we're we're blocking tomorrow, so I want you off book. And I'm having to, you know, t say, hey, what's off book? I mean, what, what, what's blocking? I don't know. So they'd all been actors since they were toddlers, you know. And so, but, you know, that was, that first year was a, was a struggle because I was terrified of, of, you know, being in front of people. But mm. I, I figured it out. For some reason, mm. my computer's. I figured it out and and they saw enough I guess because they invited me back for second year and and they only take about a quarter of the students back and and uh, they invited me back so that's so, it, I... so it just shows that obviously you had something because I'm, I'm, I'm quite shocked on how it works that you do your first year then you're not guaranteed a second year because obviously in the UK when you do a performing arts degree or you, or you go to college for performing arts, you go for a certain amount of years, if, 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 if you're good or not. <laughs> I'm, I'm so sorry. I, for some okay. reason, I lost you. I lost you for that last whatever you said. Yeah, no, I, I was just saying that it's very, it's very strange how it works out in the States because in the UK, if someone wanted to go to un, university or college for performing arts, they would go for the three years and and you know even if they were good or not during the course they would stay there so it must be so pressurized knowing that you know there could be a chance that you only do one year and then that's it yeah well they wouldn't even let me in at the time because you actually had to audition to get in and they they would send they sent a book of of selected monologues we could pick from they wanted to see a comedy and a drama and I had no idea that you're supposed to actually act the monologue. I, I, I stood in the office and recited them. <laughs> and I thought, I got 100% on that. I didn't miss a single word. That was perfect because I memorized every single word. And I thought, they're going to go, oh, my God, this, he, he got all the words. And they said, no, you're not, you're not ready, man. And they gave me some, some workshops and said, you know, come back, try again next year. And mm. that's when I did my monologue. I was like, please, man, I got no place else to go. I got everything in, I own in the parking lot. And I left my job. I left my, my place up in, up in Tahoe. And, and 
I, I got nowhere else to go. And they said, sorry. And then about three or four days before school started, they said they had an opening and did I still want to come down? And, and, and I did, but I didn't even have a place to live. I slept on the roof of my, my, uh, truck. I had a GMC Jimmy with my bed tied to the roof and I would go up there like Snoopy and sleep on the roof in the school parking lot. And then, then I would get up early and go in the school and wash up and stuff for school. So, wow. but you know, they only take a quarter. What is that? What's that? Oh, sorry. Weird <laughs> call coming. Um, so I mean, I mean, so I mean, it was, it was it was trying. I mean, obviously, sure. it made it made you the actor that you are now, and obviously, you know, from that that beginning to what you're doing now is absolutely incredible. Um, but what's the best thing and the worst thing about the industry? You know, looking back thirty years, I think you started in the industry. What was in the late eighties? I mean, how has it changed? And what's the best and worst thing you would say? about the industry? Well, the, the, one of the best things that right off the top is that, that it's, that it's digitalized now, you know, mm. we, they, you used to have to go get headshots printed and you would get your, your master shot and you would take it to a retoucher who would actually airbrush stuff on the thing. That was like an art you know, was airbrushing photos. And then you would get those printed up and get 500 or a thousand or whatever of those. And, uh, and I had to do like, you know, before I had an agent, I was mailing stuff in, get the big envelopes and, and dummy up a resume full of pretend credits and, 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 and get the drama log, which was a paper for the industry. And you'd find out who's doing a play or an independent movie or whatever. And, and just try to get jobs and, and try to get agents. And so that was a, a lot of, you know, now it's nice. Everything, I have my life on my phone and I can give mm -hmm. anybody a, a reel. I used to have to get reels done on a, you know, VHS and you would get a job and you'd have to go get your reel redone by a guy that does that. And, and it was just a pain in the ass. Um, so that's nice that that, but <laughs> I could do a whole class. I thought of actually doing a class on the, the misconceptions, the things I had, I had no idea until I made the mistakes and learned the hard way, you know, about mm -hmm. this business. But one thing that's consistent is that I feel like I do the, I do the work for free and what they pay me to do is, is to hunt for work. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the money I get is for, is for, schlepping around and rehearsing and memorizing and auditioning and getting rejected <laughs> over and over <laughs> and over again for, for 30 years. Um, you know, I'm still not at that place. I get offers sometimes like on smaller projects, they'll just, an offer will come in, but I still, for the most part, audition. If it's a, yeah. it's a, you know, decent part. I have to audition. I got the, I had to audition for Lincoln Lawyer and, and, you know, Michael Connolly, the guy that writes the books, loves, loved my work on, on Bosch. But, um, you know, even, you know, they want to see how I would do it. And, mm -hmm. and he, oh, that's what I started to bring that up is I called, I got in touch. Did you have anything to do with me getting Lincoln Lawyer because of, of Bosch? Because uh, I'm playing Teddy Vogel, the 
in in Lincoln Lawyer, and he he goes, oh, that's great, that's a good gig, yeah, he's gonna come back in season two and all this stuff. He had no idea, like, and I'd already shot two episodes at the time, so he, I'm like, wouldn't that be nice to be to have so much going on that you don't even know who's playing characters you created on one of your TV shows, like you, you know, at what what a nice position he's in, but. Mm. You know, still, I had to just try to get it, like, get a job like any other job. Um, mm. That's, I love it, though. When I have a job, like, I'm, I'm leaving town Monday to go back and do another episode of, uh, of National Treasure. They're doing a series from the, from the movie franchise mm. for, uh, for Disney Plus. And I did, I did one, I'm in episode two, and now I'm coming back for episode seven. And I love that. I love it. Car comes, picks me up, takes me to the airport. I can fly first class and stay in a nice place and get to do what I love to do and maybe do some sightseeing or whatever. And then, you know, come back that I do for free. I mean, obviously I do it for free. People pay to do that. So, um, that's, that makes it all worthwhile. It's definitely got its perks. So it makes my job seem very boring i've got to say but we talked you talked about your resume early, earlier on and i've got to say uh, how much of that resume when it comes down to your skills did you fudge did you lie about do you know like when you hear like oh i can horse ride i can ride a motorbike i can do this and that did you ever put anything on your resume that wasn't true and did you ever get caught out for it I, I fudged some stuff. What, lucky for me, I'm I'm a, a, like a jack of all trades, but master of none. I can do a lot of stuff. Like I I can, as far as like special skills, I I can, you know that you the things you list on your resume. I can I can you know if if it's fencing, I I've done fencing. I've done I can ride a horse. I can I used to race dirt bikes, uh, football, baseball. Um, um, any swimming, water skiing, snow skiing. I've done a lot of that stuff. And uh, so I can, you know, I didn't have to really lie about that. Those are the kind of the basic ones that everybody puts down. I put that I was fluent in Russian, which I'm not. I'm, uh, <laughs> I can speak Russian. I did a miniseries of 25 years ago and I was there for a year and I came back speaking Russian and I can get on a phone with someone who only speaks Russian and we can figure it out. Like I can speak enough to be conversational, but by no means can I play a Russian, you know, <laughs> I can do Russian accent. Um, I've played a Russian in, 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 a, in film before, but I've, I'm definitely not the guy that can fool you into thinking he's Russian. So well, that's... I'm only I'm I'm only saying that because I did a, t a TV show when I was younger, and on my resume I put on there that I could ride motorbikes, and I got the part, and I had to vandalize a car, get onto a motocross bike, and ride off. <laughs> when I got the part, literally I was searching for anyone that had a motorbike to try and te teach me how to ride it because <laughs> I think I was 18 at the time, never been near a motorbike before so embarrassing I'm, I'm i managed to pull it off though which was good 
Um, you, you mentioned did. you did pull it off. You learned mm-hmm. enough to to fake it. I did. You know what? Yeah. I was doing this. I was doing a movie called Line Watch with Cuba Cuba Gooding Jr. in New Mexico, and I was in New Mexico when they, when they got their film uh, tax credit and all the production started coming. I lived in Taos, New Mexico, so I was. I was hiring on there as a local hire and getting everything that came through. And I was on this movie and, and just like everybody, when the, when the tax credit came, everybody became an actor overnight, right? So they all got their headshots and they all made up their bullshit resumes and, and, and uh, trying to get hired on as, as a local hire for some of the smaller roles that come, you know, in the town because productions would rather hire locally. It's cheaper. So we get first crack at a lot of stuff, and and um, anyway, they they stunt men do the same thing, you know. They're like, you know, they 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 want it because it was we need stunt men, and these guys, a bunch of old cowboys or young cowboys, and they you know they're bull riders and stuff, and they're like, I'm a stunt man. Can you do this? Can you do that? Oh, I can do all that stuff. Yeah, you know, whatever. And and this this kid who was a bull rider said he could uh, ride dirt bikes, same kind of thing. He's supposed to ride up, see the bad guy spin around and take off on this dirt bike. And and my, my stuntman buddy was there with him and and uh, my buddy Derek Pritchard, he was working on the movie and, and, and Con Shell. And they put this kid on the dirt bike and they could, you could see he was trembling. And this is a guy who rides 2,000 pound bulls. He was terrified. And he didn't want to admit that he didn't know how to do it. And we're like, why don't why don't we uh, take you for a little spin? You know, you can go over here, and, and we're trying to get you out of this this problem that's going to happen when they say, okay, roll camera. No, 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 I, I got it, I got it. They said action. This kid popped a wheel, flipped over on his back, and the bike kind of just took off on its own into the bushes. And and in the movie, you'll see his character run on foot up to the hill, see the bad guys and turn and run away on foot. <laughs> like they just said, forget it. <laughs> Bless him. Do you know what? It's quite hard though, because when they pulled out the bikes for us, because it was me and my mate that was riding them, um, literally I had to walk around the bike a couple of times to figure stuff out because it wasn't the bike that I was I was like practicing on. But anyway, right. um, so... You mentioned earlier on that obviously, um, you know, you're recovering um, ad, ad, addict, which uh, I congratulate you for because, um, you know, I've got fam- family, unfortunately, that has gone down that route, route as well. Um, and I've witnessed from a young age what that effect it can have um, mm. to quite, quite right. Dra- drastic you know situations and you you made a comment saying that you're the only actor in the room that used to live in the bushes next to the uh, 405 freeway and it must be such sort of a redemption story so being in that position to now I mean do you regret the time uh, when you was misusing drugs or do you see it as a way now to see the world in a different light you know as 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 it made you sort of appreciate things a bit more well it's it's you know there's good and bad with it if i had it to do over again i would have you know maybe maybe gotten sober at 30 instead of 40 you know uh, i i was 
I, I was drinking alcoholically from from 15. Whenever I drank, I was that guy you had to tell me what I did last night, you know. And yeah. and uh, and then I started dabbling in other drugs, and and then I always say I then I tried heroin once for mm -hmm. six years, and and yeah. and I lived in the bushes. I, I was homeless for six years. Spent half of that in L.A. County Jail, but. Uh, you know, in installments of, mm. you know, petty thievery, drug related stuff and three months here, six months, two months, whatever. But all all together, probably around, around three years. And um, but you know what? That makes me money now. Mm. You know, I I I played a, a, a white supremacist convict in a movie called Felon with with uh, Val Kilmer and and. And uh, I only could play that guy because I lived with those guys. Mm. You know, I, I I didn't become them, but I was definitely like, and all those all those years in jail, seeing like the the real convicts. You know, the prison guys, mm. and and I just you know they have a whole different walk, they have a whole different talk, and I was able to do it because of my life. So. Mm. And, and it definitely gave me an appreciation for the simple things. You know, when I got, when I got sober in 2004, um, I spent a, the first couple of years just opening my eyes in the morning and going, I'm in a bed. You know, I'm not getting rained on in the bushes next to it. You know, I'm, I'm in a bed with clean sheets and I'm not sick. I don't have to get up and start hustling to get to get well, to get drugs, to get right, you know? Mm. Um, and I still appreciate that stuff today. And my girlfriend, Natasha and I, we just, we just went on a, a week long backpacking trip. And five, the, for five nights, we, we backpacked, we backpacked over mountain ranges, 30 miles and, and uh, camped every night. We were with a group like 10 or 12 of us and that was amazing that was a lot different than being homeless you know mm -hmm. and then we went to a we ended up 30 miles away at this monastery uh called tasahara this is up in the big sur area and we spent two days in a beautiful uh room you know with hot springs and meditation and and if you'd have told me that trip would ever appeal to me you know i would have been like you're crazy and mm -hmm. you know i've been i've been homeless i don't want i don't i don't want to pay to be homeless yeah but i mean do you, I it mean, was do the, you think it was the uh, best do, experience do you think that things happen for a reason do you think that yes you know the journey that we're on no matter how bad or good you know uh, you know it leads you to where you are now you know, I've mm -hmm. always been a great believer in no matter how much heartache and splits and relationship problems and everything like like, like that, it gets you to where you are now and things happen yeah. for a, re a, re a reason, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's what I, I mean, I used to hear that all the time. You know, you hear it in the recovery world. It's, it's uh, you know, it took me my whole life to get right here. And good or bad, it's with me, everything, all those experiences are with me to help me in my work, uh, certainly. And, and uh, 
I mean, they, they, I, they've made me, uh, you know, more. I know things about the world that people that haven't been there will never understand. And mm. there, there's, I've seen the the worst people, and 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 some of the best people, and and hear heard amazing stories of, of you know, just shocking things where where you that you take that stuff with you. You know, like mm. there's a there's a guy that I was friends with in jail. We used to mop together. That was you know you have jobs. Sometimes you're a trustee and you get a job. And we were on this midnight mop crew where six of us would just mop floors all during the night. And I really this kid was like a college buddy. You know, he was just a funny, clever guy, and and uh, you know just really personable and just like man, if we were on the streets, I would we would be friends. He's a good dude. Mm. And then you know one night we. Um, he didn't come back from court and we're watching on the news. I'm watching this guy get, watching the judge break him off 18 years because he screwed up, got loaded and, and ran over somebody, you know, downtown at three in the morning, driving like 70 Mm -hmm. miles an hour, running a red light and hit a homeless guy. And, and and he got 18 years Mm. and it was for one little screw up, you know. So, yeah, it's disappointing. Um, I mean, I used I used to be a pri- I used to be a prison officer, so you know, I was a prison officer for quite a few years, and I would often see inmates where I just think to myself, it's just wasted talent. You know, these these guys in there, they've just made bad decisions, and they've got so much going for them. But the problem is, they get released and they go back to the same environment that got them into prison. You know, it's a pity that they can't get released yeah. and get put somewhere completely different where they're not going to be judged, that they're going to start a new life. Um, but it's what not was all, your, What was your case. connection? What's that? What was to, your connection to that? So I'm, I, I, I used to be a prison officer. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Oh, so you know the stories I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, uh, but I, you know what? I really enjoyed, enjoyed, enjoyed it because... You know, I, I didn't see them as prisoners, you know, uh, you know, they're there to do their time, uh, you know, to, you know, to serve out their sentence. But, you know, you've got to give them respect, the people at the end of the day. And a lot of them did make silly mistakes that, you know, they're pay, pay, paying the price for. But mm-hmm. it's nice that, you know, you've 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 come out the other end um, very well uh, for the listeners and viewers. Obviously, you spoke about your girlfriend, which is Natasha, and that's Natasha Henstridge from Species and Maximum Risk. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so, um, so yeah, so um, just so the viewers and list, list, listeners know who we're talking about. Um, so the next question, um, fantastic actress, by the way, whole nine yards she was in as well. Uh, I'm sure the viewers will know plenty more that, that she was in as well um she's amazing so, she's amazing uh, she's actually getting ready to go next week up to canada she's got a series up there called digstown and they're starting season four and so she's going to be in prince edward island for for months so oh bless you. i'm happy for her but not looking forward to that so. yeah yeah <laughs> But again, you can always zoom. <laughs> your, yeah, your, your yeah love we did last zoom. night. Um, so I've heard as well a rumor that there could be a book coming out. Are you working on a memoir, uh, a book at all? Wow. Yeah. 
I am. I actually, that was one thing I got out of the pandemic is I've got uh, 70,000 words into a, into a book. Awesome. Um, it's just, you know, a series of, of, of uh, stories really about where my life took me. It's mostly going to be about the, you know, the, the um, all the stuff that addiction took me to, you know, because um, that's a that's a big chunk of time. Um, mm. And a lot of, you know, really crazy stuff happened. So, um, yeah, I need to get I need to get back into that now that you mentioned <laughs> that. I, I, I haven't I haven't haven't worked on it for a few months. Thought I'd step back and think about stuff, but I'm going to. I'm going to get back into that. I think that's why is, you just mentioned. Yeah, and books like that, I I I think everyone needs to read. You know, incredible stories, uh, experiences, and you know, I like stories like that. I like to hear life stories where someone's had struggles because, you know, you can take many things out of you know stories like like, like that. I mean, I had an actor called Jerry Kramer that was in Flight of the Navigator, and he also. You went down the route of drugs, alcohol, um, ended up robbing a a bank, and now he's clean. Um, he's getting over his addiction. He's now started working again and acting. Um, but obviously, everyone saw him as a, a child, you know, actor working alongside Tom Selleck and Flight of the Navigator, and and he's turned everything oh. around. And his stories like that, I just think, are so inspirational they really really are like yours as well so no it's fun it's fantastic so i'm looking forward to reading the book when it does come out so i just wanted to quickly go over a few of your projects if that's all right some of my favorites which i'm sure uh, everyone's gonna agree with with me the first being sons of anarchy this is one of the shows that is going to have a cult following for years to come and obviously with the mayans as well and kim coates making an appearance in the Mayans, which has uh, made the internet explode. Uh, you play Go-Go on the show. Uh, what was the experience like uh, donning your cuts and, and being part of Sam Crow? Well, my, my, my biggest regret about that show is that I didn't get there till season five. So by then it felt like a, you know, a, a boys club that I'm not in, you know, it was like these guys had established a brotherhood, you know, and and uh, I was just kind of a guy who, who was passing through. I was like, you're going to be here for season five, but everybody knows how you leave this show, you know, in a box. And yeah. and uh, so that was kind of the story there. I didn't get it was one of my shows. You know, I, I was so excited to be a part of it. Uh, it was definitely one of my shows. And and and. Uh, Yeah, I had a I had a really good a good time. I would I just never felt immersed in it. I didn't feel like I was a part of the gang ever, mm. and that was kind of a bummer, you know. But mm. um, I've got a picture on screen yeah. now of of, ah, yeah. of you sporting another marvelous yeah. mustache. Um, you know, I think that I, was I, mine. Was that yours? Oh, yeah. Do you know what? I'm like grey. So literally, if I grow a moustache now, it's all grey. And and if I grow yeah, too, too. Too, too much, it's Santa Claus. Do you know what I mean? So This, uh, is, my, 
These are my backpacking whisk- whiskers. I stopped shaving about a week before we left, and two weeks before we left, and because I'm going to be in the mountains and stuff. And, and uh, talking about shave me next week. And talking about mustaches, obviously the Lincoln Lawyer, which I think's a, a, an astonishing show, and obviously everyone knows the film. Um, but the series, I think, has done such a great, great job. Great characters, great stories, and I've got a picture here again of you sporting is 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 that your mustache or was that a uh... no that's the one i was talking about that's the one the mustache i have several mustaches that i use for auditions and stuff you know i've got like a cop one and i've got a white supremacist one and you know the big ones that cover your whole mouth and then i but i wanted one that was more of a cowboy stash for for the, to audition for that will smith movie um, um, I think it's called an emancipation. I don't know, but they, the, um, I can never think of the guy. Ben Foster got my part, of course. Um, but you know, once in a while they let, they let the little guys audition for something. And, and if they can't get one of these offers to big names to go through, then, Hey, guess what? You got a job, but who's not going to sign up a, on a deal to work in a, on a, you know, Antoine Fuqua, Will Smith movie, you know? And yeah. That, so I never had a chance, but, but it did, I did have the mustache. Mm. So I just left it on for the audition and they, they said, don't shave the mustache. And I said, well, I won't. <laughs> and I and won't shave ob- it off. And obviously, you know, we were looking at, I, I, I was looking at pictures because I was just, I was going to try and see how many films you were in with mustaches and without. And it's quite difficult. Your mustache literally is, I would say, your trade trademark. I mean, I've got you here in, in, in Bright as well. Uh, that is more than just a mustache. Uh, that was uh, an, an impressive film. What was that like to work on? Because I know Netflix do a great job producing these films and i'm really disappointed of the news that we're not going to get a second bright because it was just awesome no the news was saying that unfortunately after the incident at the oscars with uh, will, will will smith um they're not going forwards with um, working on bright 2 which i'm really disappointed with and people again make mistakes um but i think this is going to do harm and uh, I think he's a, an, an awesome actor. And uh, but yeah, I mean, well, I, I don't know what you're. I'm you, finding you out saw. about this, and I'm, I'm learning about this in real time. I didn't mm. I didn't know about that. I'm hugely disappointed because uh, I spoke with David Ayer, the director, and he told me that my character was probably going to be much bigger in the sequel because. Uh, my character was really the window into what's going on. Um, you know, that, that he was bright adjacent. He was, you know, he knew what the circle, he was part of the circle of light. He, yep. he was in that. So he said, we might have you back in a, in a $3,000 suit, you know, whatever. Cause you're not really that homeless guy. That's, mm-hmm. that's who you were to get thrown in the back of the car. So you could get the message to, to Will Smith about, or to the to the orc about the Will Smith being the the, the chosen one, so it was. But you never know. But you never know. 
you never know. But mm. and be uh, it was a. I mean that that movie was. Uh, I mean I've been on some big movies. Um, you know the 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 uh, um, Terminator Salvation was a two hundred million dollar movie. Cowboys and Aliens was up one hundred and fifty million something like that. Um, and even like seventy million dollar movies like Three Ten to Yuma and 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 uh, Book of Eli. Um, been on some of those, but I was a local hire in, you know, I, I, I lived in New Mexico for Book of Eli and for 310 to Yuma. So while I did work on 310 to Yuma for five weeks, there's a bit of a second class citizen kind of vibe to being a local hire. You're working for scale. You don't have any kind of special deal with, you know, whatever it's, it's, you're, you, they don't treat you like you're a background actor, but you, you're definitely, and you, and you, you know, rub elbows with the cast because you're in the cast. But it, it's a, it's a different feeling. It's like being a guest star compared to being, you know, a series regular. It's a different experience. So, um, uh, the bright thing was the first time that I'd ever been, like, preparing for a role. Like he, he's like, we're giving you a nutritionist. We're giving you uh, a trainer, a personal trainer. You're going to have uh, uh, a sword combat instruction. You're going to have um, a dialect coach who's going to help you speak Orkish. And, and, you know, I was on the clock a month before I filmed. I only filmed two days on the movie. Um, no, three. The, in the in the in the cop car when I you know on the street when I was swinging the sword, another day in the back of the cop car, and another day in the interrogation room, and. But I was I was working for a month. I went I went to work every day, learned my uh, worked out with my trainer and got and at at the studios and and worked with my sword guy and I worked with the dialect coach and, and I had, they were dropping food at my house. And, and, and when I got the job, I'm like, okay, this is a homeless guy. I can do this. You know, I'm, he's like a homeless, a homeless mess, crazy guy. So I'm like, I've been that. And so I got the job and then I got high. And then the, the table read was like two weeks later. And I went to the table read. I thought the director was going to be so thrilled because I I dropped like twenty pounds, and he was like, "What? What the hell happened to you? What are you doing?" I'm like, "I'm a homeless guy, right?" And he goes, "Yeah, but but no, I want you to be like a like a beefy Viking guy," and I'm like, "Well, that." wasn't my experience when I was a homeless guy. I weighed like, you know, 60 pounds less than I weigh right now. <laughs> but then I was a drug addict, you know. So he said, no, we got to bulk you up. So I started 20 pounds under and then was powering down food, which is which is worse than, than cutting weight. I would rather mm. lose weight than have to gain weight because they give you 5,000 calories every day and you just are constantly throwing stuff in your mouth you're not hungry for any of it. Every swallow is like, Ugh, and another handful of whatever. And you, you're just eating all day and none of it's enjoyable. 
and actually, and then they tried to a few days before shooting, they want to switch you up and and kind of cut the water weight and 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 shred you out a little bit. But it was too little. I'm kind of I'm kind of puffy and and not very ripped in that movie. But it uh, that was the only time I've ever really felt like, ooh, I'm an actor. You know, being prepared. Be, being paid to prepare for a role, mm. so that that was a that was an amazing, amazing time. And then in the end, they didn't let me use. They I did my. Uh, there's like little fun facts with that job. Um, the uh, in the in the car when I'm speaking Orkish, I had to learn all this this speech and and the way I played it in the car was that it was like this sad desperation. It was kind of like that, you know, he's our only hope. He's he can save our our planet kind of a thing. And 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 he liked it at the time, the director did, but then he wanted to change it down the road to more assertive. So they Use somebody else to to loop over my my dialogue in Orkish. So that's not even me speaking Orkish. Somebody else. Why I didn't get a chance to do it, I don't know. But someone else is is synced to my mouth and doing it much more. You have to do this. He is the man. You, we need we need his help. Make it happen. And he changed the tone of the whole thing. So, okay, whatever. I've had that happen before, and. and um, in other movies, but um, the other thing, the cool thing was, in the interrogation room, they asked me, they asked me like one or two questions, and then I, I, I'm, I'm not answering, and then I stand up and I smash my head down on the corner of the metal table and die, to to get out of giving up any information. I just kill myself on the corner of the table. Thankfully, when they cut the movie together and they tested it, people were confused. They were they were like, "I don't get it. What's the circle of light? What's a bright? What is this? How do, how does he know that? How do you did?" And they didn't understand. And then and the director came up with the idea: we'll shoot that scene in the interrogation room again, and we'll have Serling tell the audience. It's all so I got like two and a half pages of exposition for the audience about what brights are and the circle of light and who this is and who they, you know, I, they show me pictures and I give their little story and, and, and I get the audience caught up with the movie. So it turned into a great scene for me. That is awesome. I mean, Hollywood, who knows? I mean, obviously the news about bright two was all over the internet, but Hollywood changes so fast and, and, and things change fast. So fingers crossed we do get another one. That's a bummer. Um, That's a bummer. Yeah, I, I, I mean, you know, I, it's I, not like I get I get canceling people. And, you know, there's people that you know, I get why that exists. And, and you know, like Natasha was big on, 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 on that, you know, standing up, making a stand, not trying to get a book deal, just mm. saying what was and then walk away. I'm not doing a press tour. You know, it's not going to, it's, she didn't want ever want to turn it into something for herself, mm. which I admire, but she told the truth and she's big on that, you know, mm. and, and, uh, I really admire that, but, but 
um, it was a knucklehead move, obviously, mm-hmm. for Will, right? Yeah. Will's the nicest guy in the world, you know? I, I mean, I, I talked to him a lot when we were in the police car, and, I, and people were coming up at stoplights, you know, like we were downtown in a rough neighborhood, and street people would come up and go, hey, Will, how you doing, man? Guess what I had for lunch? And they would tell some, <laughs> you know, name some kind of like country foods or something that, that, that they thought Will would identify with and and he was like oh well yeah that sounds great and and we drove off and i said how's that how that's got to feel good huh i mean having having just just going through life brightening people's day you know just mm-hmm. because they see you and he goes yeah and not and for and for not doing a damn thing like he he got what a gift that was you know mm-hmm. he He's a, he's a, we, they, we trained with, with martial artists. That was a, a thing that the director did. We had, we, we got our, uh, uh, Taekwondo belt. We got, we belted whatever the first belt is after white belt. We all went and took Taekwondo at a dojo of a friend's, of a friend of his. And we, that was part of our day. We all went and worked and sparred together and, you know, I'm, in the morning sparring with Will Smith and, and and it was a bonding thing for the cast and I'm like how cool is that you know Will mm. Smith's driving from Calabasas to downtown LA to spar with these other actors because that's what the director wants him to do and I'm like I admire that you know he's mm. a definitely an admirable guy mm. it was a knucklehead move but I don't think the dude needs to be cancelled man no. you know, I mean, I mean the thing is so- people forget that actors are just people and we all yeah. have our moments throughout throughout our lives unfortunately he had his moment at the Os- the oscars do you know what i mean you couldn't pick a more profile high profile event but hopefully yeah fing- but fing- i mean considering fing- what it was mm. you know that's the thing i mean i mm. get it if there's something to something involving kids or or mm. abuse or of a woman or whatever this is this is yeah not a cancelable offense in my opinion i mean it's stupid yeah yeah but fingers crossed because i think he's a superb actor and uh before we uh finish this wonderful interview i saw on your uh twitter your bio on your twitter let me see what it says the guy uh who died in the movie that you like so I wanted to do a test with, with 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 you. So I've got a list of some of the films and TV shows that you've died in, uh, but I want you <laughs> to tell me how you died in those if you can remember. Okay. okay. So three ten to humor. How did Burned you die? Burned alive in a stagecoach. By Ben Foster. <laughs> Damn that Ben Foster! Yeah. You know, yeah. um, the Book of Eli. Um. Uh, mercy killed by by uh, Denzel with a with a blade. Yeah, do you know Which what? I should have. I a- got a story for that if you want to hear yeah. it. Yeah, definitely, uh, definitely. Uh, um, and the reason that 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 my social media is hijack leader is because of that movie. That was yeah. all my character had for a name. It was the hijack leader. That was my character, and that movie was was a was a big milestone for me because I'd been in big movies before um but I'd never had like a scene that's mine opposite a a huge star right 
I've never had like, wow, this is a scene with me and Denzel and, and, and it's huge. And I'd never had that before. And I was of course terrified because it's Denzel and the director, I asked, we, we did a, we did a, uh, uh, a rehearsal. We walked through it. Right. And I'm hiding behind that sign up on the hill and I, and I come down and my first line in the script is what you got there in that pack. And so I, I, after we did a, uh, a walkthrough, I went to the directors, uh, Alan, Alan and Albert Hughes. And I asked Alan, I'm like, Hey man, I feel like I should be saying something before that, that first line. Cause I, I'm coming from the sign and I got to come down the hill and then I got to walk down the road before I can even tell that he has a pack on, you know? And, and he said, Ben, you feel like saying something, just say it. So he gave me the green light, which is, you know, the actor's dream. And, and, uh, so I was hiding behind that scene for a couple days. I'm behind that sign going, Oh, I know I'll, I'll try this this time. So I just come down and I, you know, I think that what ended up in the movie is something, a comment about how I'm impressed that he smelled us from so far away. And then I make some aside to the guys about what, what's that say about our hygiene, right? Because mm -hmm. we're just filthy, disgusting. And so that's the ended, what ended up in the movie. But there was um, a whole bunch of other things. I was singing and dancing and using my walking stick as a baton and or a cane and, you know, whatever. So the director's brother, Albert Hughes, he's more of the 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 guy who's you know watching monitors he's the one that's going to cut it together he's more the cinematographer and he's he's coming out talking to his brother going how are we going to cut this together I mean he's all over the place he hasn't done two takes even similar to each other and and Alan bless his heart said just let him go man we'll, it'll all cull together we'll cull it together don't worry and and uh, so I kept doing my thing and and uh, Denzel didn't talk to me at all. He was doing his character all the time. And once in a while, he might, he'd say something like, hey, on the next one, I'm not going to say that line, so don't wait for it. And I'd say, okay. And that was it. And um, one of the special effects makeup guys, uh, Mike McCarty, he came up to me after, after one of the takes, and he said, did you hear that? And I said, no, what? He said, Denzel was walking back to one back to the, his first position and he looked over he looked at the director and said that guy's good and i was like Ooh. oh Denzel wow said that. that is awesome so, yeah, get, yeah. Get, so get, that, get a big thumbs up from him that's awesome but what happened so what happened the reason i brought this up is in the script uh at the end i say who are you i'm laying there with um, on my knees with no hand bleeding out and I look up and I in the script I say who are you and in the script he says I'm Eli slashes me across the throat puts his foot on my chest and kicks me over like dead meat and we got to that part in the in the scene because they obviously were going to shoot that later because of all the blood and stuff we get to that part in the scene he says I can't do him like that because he's been, we've had this little playful banter and, and, and all this improvisation and he became, he humanized himself. So if I kill him like that, the audience will think I'm a dick. Mm -hmm. So he said, yeah. instead, I'm going to lay him down 
I'm going to give him a little mercy kill, slide the knife in and gen him, gently lay him down so that, the, you know, so it changed what I did, changed what he did. And I never forgot that. I was like, yeah, you got to be, you got to be true to what's going on on the set, not what's necessarily on the page. Mm-hmm. And so that's my, uh, my long book of Eli story. But you know what? Book of Eli, one of my favourite movies, and I just think Denzel doesn't make a bad movie. He really doesn't. He must have a great team behind <laughs> he him. He does it. And, uh, yeah. yeah. So, um, let me in. Um, how did you die in that movie? Can you remember? Killed by Chloe Moretz, a vampire. You... She snapped my neck and drank my blood. You was, and I've got a little sound effect. There we go. You got that correct. So, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, she... Um, she sucked you dry from blood. Uh, the Last Stand with Arnold Schwarzenegger. How did you die? Best. Best death yet. I got tackled off of the roof of a second-story building by Arnold himself, shot in the head on the way to the ground, and then twisted around under Arnold to become a crash pad. Yes, right. Do you know what? I you know what? I've got to say you make that comment on Twitter, but how cool must that be for an actor that yeah, if you die in these shows, you die by the hands of some awesome people and you yeah. die in some awesome ways, you know, which is great. Yeah. Um I've got here the last uh last rampage. I don't actually die. Ah, well, it says here you were executed by lethal injection off screen. Oh, Is well, that right? yeah, that character was a real person. Uh, but in the movie, he it ends the movie ends with us being arrested. Yeah, I think I think it explains in the end credits, I think that you were di- you died, I think. of Oh, does it? Injection. Yeah. Um, obviously, Sons of Anarchy, Toad's Wild Ride, I think the episode is. Um, Shotgun Blast to the Chest from Ron Perlman. Oh, you... Oh. I thought it's... Is it... It could... I've got here Dayton. Is that right or Jason. wrong? Dayton. Jason? Dayton. Callie. Oh, Dayton Callie. Uh, yeah. Do you know what? I'm going to go by what you say because you were there. So there we go. <laughs> I um, think it. I th- yeah, it could be wrong, but I, I think it was Ron Perlman. And then another, he double crossed us. Oh, Ron Perlman though he double crossed every, every everyone in the show. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You couldn't trust the man. Uh, Ray Donovan, <laughs> which I think is, again, an awesome show. Again, um, how did you die in Ray Donovan? One of my favorites as well, because I was working with the amazing John Voight. Um, he dosed me with, with some, with some p- pills and helped me drown in a pool after tipping me in there. Yes. See, another yeah. great actor that you die by the hands of. Uh, yeah. So we'll leave them there. We've got quite, quite, quite a lot, but you know what? We could be here all day talking about your awesome deaths and your awesome career. Uh, I mean, obviously, you mentioned that you're uh, starring in National Treasure, which I'm looking forward to because the films are awesome. They really, really are. Um, can you say anything about the show? You know, in the way that what you think it's going to be like. Do you think it's going to 
live up to the films or do you think it's going to be slightly different to the films? I, the, it, I don't know anything about it. I, I'm just the, I, I'm the, uh, the, one of the sets is a, a kind of a honky tonk, you know, club with live music kind of thing. And I'm the manager of that, of that club. So I'm only set, I think for two, uh, two episodes this season. Um, I, the the cast are really really amazing people. They're they're super talented. They're young. I mean, that's I'm like, oh my god, I'm getting old. These are, it, it's it's like, oh yeah, I guess you guys qualify as adults, but you look like <laughs> you guys should be having a sleepover or something. And you're you're actually adults in the world doing jobs and solving stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. But to me, they look like children. Mm. <laughs> And 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 also, I wanted to quickly ask the outlaw Johnny Black. Uh, the internet yeah. is going wild on it, and it looks awesome. I can't find anywhere that I can see it. I mean, do you know where? It's not this? out. It's, there we go. Do you know what? It was it was racking my brains because was it at the? Uh, it was at a festival. It was shown at a ves- a, a festival because it, it was delayed, wasn't it? Because of the pandemic, if I'm right in saying. Yeah. Well, there was some there were some issues with with some producers that were, um, I guess, less than reputable. So they were tied up in arbitration and stuff, trying to get rid of them. And they got that sorted. Um, and Mike just had me over to his house a, a couple of weeks ago uh, for a screening. And, you know, that was a that was a blessing. I mean, that was happening during COVID. I was like had no idea what I'm going to do. And, and uh, I got a call from Michael Jai White, who, who get this, I, he did a cameo in a, in a, in a low budget movie I, I did called the Philly kid. And we were shooting in Baton Rouge and Michael Jai White was in town with, you know, like doing like universal soldier 12 or something. Right. And, yeah. and so he's in, in town for that. And the producers got him to come over and play for a day with us. So I had a, a scene three or four words with him and, and it was a, a cage fighting movie. And we had a little conversation. We hit it off. So we uh, exchanged numbers and stuff. And that was the end of it. And that was like 10 years ago. And Five years ago, or four four years ago, I ran into him at a premiere of a prison movie I did called Shot Collar. And and he and his wife Gillian were at the premiere, and it was like, Mike, how you doing? Hell yeah. Again, good to see you. We left. That was it. And then out of the blue, three years later, he he texts me and says, Would you would you be interested in playing the villain in my uh, comedy western? outlaw johnny black i was like i don't even need to read the script and i'm in i'm in and and uh it really looks good it's mm-hmm. really it's it's funny michael jai is like like really talented people think he just can beat people up you know but he's a really good actor and he's got comedy chops for days like he cracks me up sometimes there's a sequence in the movie that you know i don't want to give it away but he's just demonstrating quicker hands than some dumb cowpoke who's trying to, you know, that he's just getting the best of. And he has like 25 different ways of showing this guy that he's faster than him 
it makes me pee myself every time I watch it. It's so funny. And he does that whole thing with like this sleepy, bored look, you know, like, I don't even want to wake up fully to dominate you. Brilliant. But the movie's really good. The performances are good. The writing, I, it was amazing. And they got, we got cameos from people like Jim Brown and, and uh, I got Lou Gossett to do some, to, to do some audio work for us. And, and it's just, it, I can't wait for that movie. That movie's going to, that movie might actually put me on the map. And when's it coming out? Do we know? I do not. Um, I don't know. I don't know what the latest is. I got a Mike, Michael Jai has a studio deal going. He's mm. from Bridgeport, Connecticut. And, and, they want to do a you know local boy makes good kind of uh, studio project in in uh, Bridgeport because Bridgeport's like Detroit. It's got all this space that's not being used. So they want to bring money to the state. Uh, they want to bring money to the city. He's got the government, the, the governor, and the mayor, and all these people, and they're building. They're in construction. They're transforming all this office and warehouse space and. It's going to be called, it's Gigantic Studios, J-A-I, Gigantic nice. Studios. Yeah. And two of my scripts are on their slate. So oh, I've got, a, I've got a, 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 an indie script about a small town deputy and this unlikely friendship with an eccentric older biker character. And, uh, and this deputy Bobby Stone um forms this friendship with this guy called Wild Bill and he and and it's really a story about this friendship so in the end Wild Bill kind of ends up showing Stone what's important in life you know the last guy you would expect so um it's called Heart of Stone I wrote the script like 12 13 years ago to play Bobby Stone the the, the deputy I've had that script for so long. I'm going to play the old biker now. And well, that's what you're going to say. <laughs> going to play the deputy. So Mike's going to be Bobby Stone. I'll see if Natasha will play his, his fiance. Um, and I'm going to play the biker, which I, you know, I wrote it. I wrote it for myself. And then I like Jeff Bridges or Sam Elliott to play the biker. Now I'm enough to be the biker. So that's fine. I like that part better anyway. And then so I have another I, yep. I, I have another series called Antebellum uh, pilot that I wrote uh, about the the couple years before the Civil War starts when and this group of ragtag thrown together people are navigating their way through pre-Civil War America, kind of trying to figure out what side of the fence they want to be on when the shooting starts. And and uh Mike wants to do that too because there's a slave named West that ends up being a regular joining our party and ends up joining, you know, becoming uh, one of the regulars on the show. And, and he wants to do that as well. So, so Antebellum and Heart of Stone, Gigantic Studio, those are my plugs. That is awesome. Do you know what? I'm looking forward to that. Anything Civil War, I'm a bit of an American history buff. I've been to Gettysburg well, and I've been to all over the East Coast of America and, and 
yeah i love stuff like well, that it's, so. it's it's fascinating to me but i've i've I, I wanted to do something like everybody knows what happens when the shooting starts mm-hmm. like what was going on before that that's what mm-hmm. that's what i thought i would explore and the beautiful thing about this this thing is that it's a perfect way to shine a light on the social and political climate of today because it was identical it was completely polarized and fear mongers and and it was just it was just like today and look what happened you know and and the the political parties were reversed so the the rich fat racists were the were the democrats mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the republicans were civil rights fighters you know abe lincoln yeah. civil it was a republican so it's a great way to look at that and do a lot of kind of tongue in cheek stuff with that um I was just going to make sure. Oh, and I also want to plug "Invitation to a Murder." Um, oh, with a, um, is it Misha Barton? Yeah, I've seen it. It looks yeah. awesome. The trailer and um, the poster. Is there a trailer? Uh, there was something on the internet. I think I, I, I don't know if it's official tra- trailer or someone's done like a a, a thing for it. Um, okay, I think I'll, I'll, I'll share it on my on on this video at the bottom. Um, but I'm yes. super proud of that. Yeah, and when does that come out? Because do we know? I, I I have no idea. I in fact I reached out to Misha the other day. I haven't heard back from her. I I don't know what's going on. But it was a complete. It was like an Agatha Christie style movie. Yeah. We filmed at a mansion in Chicago, and and it was it was like all character driven. Like all these amazing actors that I'm not going to try to list right now because I'll forget one and that'll make me an asshole. But look it up. It's a it's it's an amazing group of actors. That's what it is. There's no car chases and explosions or shit. Total character-driven murder mystery. Like, I can't wait to see this movie. And I have a great part in it too, so... Well, um, as soon as soon as it comes out and it gets announced, I'll make sure I'll plug it on the show and I'll plug it on so so social media as well. But Chris, you've been a great guest and it's been so lovely to chat chat, chat with you, especially when I've seen you in so many things. Literally, you pop up on everything that I watch from Supergirl to to do you know what I mean to Book of Eli. It's just a, a crazy. It's it's like literally you're like one of the busiest act, uh, actors, which is good. Uh, now the pandemic's over, keep on working. Uh, But look after yourself, keep safe, and all the best to you, your family, and Natasha. Thank you. And keep keep your fingers crossed for me on on, uh, Lincoln Lawyer, because Mr. Connolly told me I'd be a regular if we came back for season two. Do you know what? At the end, uh, the great thing is your character is so left open, and you actually end, you you finish watching it, uh, thinking about you, your character, and, and Cisco, is it? If I remember rightly, and yeah. the relate the relationship there and what's going to happen next, so yeah. it does leave it wide open. So fingers crossed. Uh, yeah, we definitely know two. he's coming back. I'm just hoping that he comes back as a regular. Oh, fingers crossed! It will be a crime if you didn't. So, uh, Chris, look after yourself. Keep safe, sir. Thank you, man. You've been listening to Be More Super, the podcast. It was kind of a crazy, fun experience. I love the show, guys. You're awesome. Listen, my whole family loves it, man. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit the subscribe button and share with your super friends. In my world, it means hope.